You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Wednesday, so it's time for Wayne on Wednesday. And Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at FNB Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. Wayne, pick and pay this morning. Let's talk about pick and pay yes. because I've noticed a lot of stock exchange news service announcements recently that have said announcement of a beneficial interest in shares of uh, whether it be pick and pay or spa was another recent one. People seem to like retailers suddenly. Do these results make you like retailers even more than you already do? Well, look, they were not bad results at all. I mean, the share is up slightly one and a half percent, nothing great. Mm. You know, but when you consider the everything that they've gone through for six months to the end of August, the unrest, the lockdowns, everything like that. I mean, turnover was still up four odd percent, you know, profits doubled. But obviously you're measuring off, off a low base. But yeah, it's a good set of results. I mean, dividend doubled. So, yeah, I think it's a good set of results. I mean, I know they had a billion rand or whatever cost of the, I think it was a billion rand, the cost of the unrest. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry. Sorry, I'm just reading it here now. Lost sales of approximately 1.7 billion, 930 million and 800 million on the liquor restrictions. Okay, so a combination of lockdown and civil unrest and looting, etc. That's what it was. Yeah, but still, it's still, a, it's still a good set of results. Yeah. Now, of course, it, it leads me to the next question. Of all the retailers, if you do like retailers, if you had to buy retailers, which retailer would you buy? Which would be your, your rankings of them? Well, you know, we do like retailers, okay? Mm-hmm. Probably find ShopRite the top, the top ranking, to be honest. I, 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 we, we own... We own ShopRite, and uh, let me just get it here. If you don't mind waiting Not one sure. second, go I've got all the I've got all the data sitting here. So, if Spa would be our be our top pick on that, yeah, and then Pick and Pay and ShopRite relatively similar. We prefer AV, so we so our our our, our order of buying, yeah, Spa, AVI, Pick and Pay, and ShopRite's more or less level. The pay. ones that we think are a little bit expensive are Pepco. Yeah. Uh, well, Mr. Price isn't really a food retailer, but Pepco to us looks a little bit expensive. That's interesting because Woolworths isn't in there and that's your favorite shop. Well, it's one of my favorite shops. Now, Woolworths is there, but mm, it's not It's not too bad. I must admit, Woolworths is not too bad. Spa, Spa is our top pick, probably then AVI and then in a pack, Woolworths, Pick and Pay, and Shoprite. Mm. All right, well, that's good. But people do seem to like them. Which ones are interest rate sensitive and which ones are not? Because the talk, of course, now is that the interest rate next interest rate move in South Africa will be to the upside, and it's that's really yeah. um, well. None of those guys are really interest rate sensitive because they've they're almost exclusively uh, cash sales. Yes, you know the the the. Apparel retailers, Fushini, uh, Mr. Price, etc. They got big credit. You know, they would be interest rate sensitive. And of course, I mean, we've spoken about this as nauseum on many, many occasions. You know, the the big unanswered question is inflation. I mean, our inflation rate came out today at five percent, and other than a couple of little things, it's effectively the petrol price. Eh? 
So it's transport and petrol price, etc. In fact, food moderated slightly, if I'm not mistaken. Certainly, all the meats, red meats, fish, chicken, actually came down in the month, very marginally. And and that and that and that would be quite logical because I think that follows the pattern of what's happening to food prices in dollars. I mean that had they they have peaked along with every other commodity except oil and seem to be moving on on the downside. So in a year's time, if oil is at ninety plus, you know, we're going to have interest rate increases before the middle of next year. We definitely will. I mean if oil's at seventy, we'll be okay. Well, look, the, the number that we got to the 4.9% to 5% rise that we saw with today's CPI inflation numbers from the Republic of South Africa uh, doesn't yet factor in oil at 83, 84 a barrel. Not yet. Okay, Luckily enough, the rand is a bit, exactly. but it won't compensate for everything. It, 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 just, it just won't compensate for that. But of course, I mean, we spoke about this last week as well. Yeah, look, food prices, I'm just looking at the chart for food prices in dollars. They have declined marginally. So our food inflation should continue to moderate a little bit. But, you know, oil, oil is the, it's literally the unknown. You know, there's no shortage of oil anywhere. So the price is not going up because there's a shortage of oil. It's going up so that's why of, I think it's going to fall. Yeah, it has to fall eventually. But, I mean, it, it must be there for demand or supply chain problems. Maybe they can't get the tankers. Yeah. Maybe they can't offload the tankers. Who knows, Wayne? Supply chain's not a problem. Supply chain you can sort out. That just takes time. So, you know, we're not going to have supply chain issues in a year's time. We're not going to have chip shortages in a year's time. The, all of those things, we're not going to have new car shortages because of chips and the used car prices going through the roof. So all of the supply chain issues will be sorted. But if OPEC doesn't start pumping a little bit more, then the price is going to stay high. So essentially, you're in OPEC Plus's hands yet. Now, my personal view, and I mean, I mean obviously, I've got no insight at all as to what's happening in uh, OPEC plus, but I don't think they want a high oil price simply because they're already getting, they're already under the cosh with the fossil fuels and electrics. So in 10 years time, their market may even halve. And I don't think they want to accelerate that trend. I really don't think they do because this whole anti-fossil fuel thing is not just a, 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 a fringe thing like it was 10 years ago. It's been gathering strength now, and now it is the accepted norm that we are going to get ourselves off fossil fuels, and politicians realize this, that the majority of voters want this to happen, so they're now going to act on it. So the demand for fuel is going to be in a permanent decline. The demand for oil will be in a permanent decline. You know, so right now, maybe there's a there's a problem, and no one spent capex, and it's not. I mean, I even drive around Santon, and I won't mention which bank it was, but it wasn't my bank. Mm. But one of the big banks had a big sign up there saying, you know, green energy, we all green. Look at us, how green we are. That we're not financing any fossil fuel 
capital expenditure. And that's what's happened worldwide. So it's a trend. And of course, the companies themselves, why do you want to develop a 40-year asset? Because that's what a big oil field is. You know, it's a 40-year asset. When you're only going to need it for 10 or 15 of those years, you're just not going to spend the money. It just doesn't make sense. But right now, there is enough fossil fuel around. And OPEC increased the pumping capacity by 400,000 barrels. And they must do another 500. I mean, they've got Saudi Arabia itself can pump an extra five or six million barrels. That's their spare capacity. And that spare capacity combined with the decline in demand, because this decline in demand is going to now be noticeable. You know, up until now, it's been relatively fringe stuff because there's not that many uh, electric vehicles, etc., around. But in the next two or three years, it's going to take off like crazy. You know, I wouldn't be surprised in two or three years' time the 30% of new car sales are electric. Yeah, that's, all, that's all very well, Wayne. And this makes me, makes me slightly sceptical about what, what happened in Paris and what might happen in, in Glasgow with the, with the climate uh, meeting coming up very soon. This came out across the newswires earlier today. It says here the following. Major economies will produce more than double more than double the amount of coal, oil and gas in 2030 than is consistent with meeting climate goals set uh, in the 2015 Paris Accord to curb global warming, the UN uh, and researchers said on Wednesday. Uh, the annual production gap report measures the difference between governments' planned production of fossil fuels and production levels which are consistent with meeting the temperature limit set in Paris. So you can sit down and have a lovely time in Paris and everyone's emotional at the end because you've signed off a couple of documents. But on the other hand, they'll say, right, carry on producing. It just seems, it just seems uh, an, an anomaly to me. There's one big difference between now and Paris. Mm. The political pressure to actually do something is substantially more than what it was five, six years ago, significantly more. Five, six years ago, it was one of those things you spoke about because politicians had to talk about it. But there was no true pressure. Now there is true, true pressure. Very different environment that the politicians are working under now compared to five years ago. Could be so. But anyway, someone's breaking the rules somewhere. Uh, Wayne, OK, so we've spoken about... Uh, we've spoken about retailers. You spoke about one of the major banks, and one of the major banks came out with a nine-month operational yes. update today, and it's it's called Standard Bank. You've loved banks for a long time. Do you love or like or dislike Standard Bank? No, Standard Bank's actually one to us appears to be of the cheapest banks that are around. So we actually quite like Standard Bank. We've got quite a big holding in Standard Bank. So you'd be, uh, after this operational update, would you be adding to your Maybe position? Maybe Nedbank's a bit cheaper, but certainly Standard Bank, Nedbank and First Rand are still there. Okay. APSA and Capitec, in our view, specifically Capitec, looks very expensive. But then again, we've been wrong on, Cap on Capitec forever because mm. it's always looked too expensive to us. But yeah, it's still actually quite like the the banks. How do you, uh, just on that very point and going off, off piste a little bit here, when something is very expensive, but keeps on getting more and more expensive or main, maintaining its expensive nature, what do you say to yourself? The reason it's expensive is be, is because of a good reason and therefore we should be in there? Or do you just say, no, I stick to my guns and this, no, according look, to FMB Wealth and Investment and Wayne McCurry, this is too high it's and a I can't buy it? 
it's a heavily psychological thing. This, mm. you know, incredibly, there's 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 two issues with this particular scenario that you've sketched now. Yes, a lot of people, including me, remember many companies where the PE, the the rating of the company was through the roof. I.e., the company was expensive but it just continued to get more and more expensive. But a good few of them collapsed and don't even exist anymore. So inherently, even though I don't for a moment think this is the case with Capitec, inherently, if you are like we are a value-orientated manager, which means you don't really like buying expensive shares, you're just very cautious on it. And then the second factor is, you know, you feel like an idiot because these shares just go up and up and up and up and up and the results just look good and good and good and good. But yet it always looks too expensive to you, so you don't buy it. So, so inevitably you're actually losing out on it. Look, let's talk a little bit about the theory of expensive shares. Go on. So if the, if the market is at a 10 price earnings ratio, so I'm not going to explain what that is. It's just a number for this example. Okay. If the market is at a 10 and the earnings are going to grow 10% in the next year for the whole market. Now, if the company is growing the earnings 20%, then it should be at a 20 price earnings ratio. If a company is growing the earnings 5%, it should be at a 5 price earnings ratio. So in other words, a company whose earnings profile is double the market can trade at double the market's price. That's, to me, that's entirely logical. And this is, of course, ignoring the variability of earnings and the risk factors. This is all theoretical. And Capitec has been growing its earnings significantly more than what the market has. But the, but the price earnings ratio is out of line in our view with the earnings growth. But we've been wrong on this one. And we wish we had have bought it, and maybe we should buy it now, but it just looks too expensive. Because it, it has been a success story. The other part of the theory is, and of course this is once again theory, no one, no company can continually grow its earnings significantly higher than the market average over long time periods, whether it's 10 or 20 years. Because if you have a company that does something, and they are and they are they are so good at what they do, and they're growing their earnings phenomenally, other people opt into that business. In other words, competition comes to squeeze that margin. Because capitalism is a wonderful thing. If it sniffs that something is really doing well somewhere, and making profits, everyone jumps on that bandwagon over time. And quite often, that's how bubbles burst. So if you take Platinum shares. I mean, the big platinum boom from 2004 through to 2008. I mean, every week there was a new platinum prospect being listed on the JSC. Everyone jumped on that bandwagon. Prior to the dot-com, everyone jumped on that. So, you know, no company in theory can grow its earnings significantly higher than the market. You know, unless it's like, for example, if you're talking about a platinum company where there is a limited resource. I mean, you either own that resource or you don't. But a normal consumer share or a banking share. So let's take go back to Capitec now. Now Capitec was launched when there was chaos and mayhem in the banking sector. 
that was just after Trevor Manuel, who was the finance minister at the time, said, right, no more deductions off the government payroll system. And all of these microfinance uh, unsecured loan houses, there was Duros Bank, there was Unifer, there were many, many other of these banks. It was so simple. A person came to you from the government and wanted a loan, and you said, right, yes, your loan, the installments are 2,000 rand a month, and sign this order so I can deduct it off your salary before you even earn it. Oh, okay. And so what was happening was people at the government were taking home no money. They were getting a zero check. And Trevor Manuel just said, no more deductions off the government personal, I think it is their government uh, admin, salary admin system. Similar and thing in the United Kingdom, these payday loans that they have, which have been clamped down on. So, I mean, it doesn't matter. It's not just South Africa. Yeah. It's, it's everywhere. But anyway, go yeah. on. But I'm pretty sure in the UK there was a limit that you – that the government wouldn't process a payday claim if it amounted to more than 50% of your take-home salary. No, you're quite in right. In South Africa, some mm. people just were getting zero take-home salary. Yes. Okay. So they, they stopped that. So all those banks just disappeared. And the funny thing was APSA had just bought Unifer. Its actual nickname was Lucifer. <laughs> and it just folded in front of their eyes and they lost serious cash on that. Now, well, Capitec launched into that vacuum. No one wanted to touch an unsecured loan because of this catastrophe. And Capitec launched into that vacuum. And good for them. They got their timing 100% right. But now, they made a lot of money. Do you think the other banks are, on, are not in the unsecured market? They also went in there. I mean, they didn't take the old business away from Capitec, but every other major bank went into that sector. And now Capitec, by and large, I mean, how many million customers have they got? Oh, it's you an know, outrageous amount of customers. It, it's and, a huge amount. And, and, and most of them, I mean, you can say you've got 10,000 Twitter followers, but it's probably only 2,000 are active. You look at Capitec's customer base, and That's huge. They're, they're all active as well, yeah. transacting so now, all the time. By and large, everyone who wants to learn in that market has probably got one. So the big growth years for Capitec in that market are probably behind them. So what are they doing now? They're trying to go into the corporate market. They're trying to go out of the unsecured into secured loans. They're giving out housing loans as security. They, yes. They're trying to get into the market that all the other banks have been in forever. You know, they're trying to get you and me to go join them. And yeah. the other banks aren't stupid. They, they're quite competitive, eh? Yeah, it's a, so good, it's a vibrant environment. We don't think, mm. Yeah, we don't think that the current PE rating is appropriate for Capitec because they, the, the true huge growth years are probably behind them. Mm. You know, so, so, yeah. Okay, I mean, well, that's your explanation of, of uh, in, investing in how capitalism works. Yeah, yeah, and your explanation as to to, to, to why you're not in Capitec simply because but you, be you wrong, stick though. to and your that's, yeah, and that's fine to be wrong. Nothing wrong with being wrong. Uh, from being wrong, you um, in the future be right. Wayne, let's let's talk about food now because I know you've got to dash off. Oh, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm trying to like pumpkins and I'm trying to like butternut. And it's pumpkin and butternut season, squash season in the Northern Hemisphere at the moment. Mm -hmm. You're driving along the road, there's a farm stall, there's piles and piles of beautifully coloured and very attractive looking pumpkins and squash. 
And I bought one the other day and I followed this recipe. I scooped out the stuff and uh, made a risotto with the, with, with the flesh from the middle and then I stuffed it into the pumpkin itself and roasted it and everything. I just can't get into it. I mean, it looks lovely, but I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, the Wayne, I can't, I pumpkin, can't do it. Pumpkin I can only have as a, almost like a pudding where you put cinnamon and sugar on it and you roast it. That's actually quite tasty. Yeah. But pumpkin as a vegetable I can't eat. No. Butternut's quite a bit different. Eh? A good butternut soup with oh. a tiny bit of curry powder into it. Mm. So it's got a little bit of curry taste to it. And I think you actually, I've never made it, but when I taste it, you know, just bought from Woolworths or Checkers or wherever, they seem to add some lemon juice into it because there's a slightly bitter taste, but with a nice amount of curry powder in and some lovely Shia butter. I actually had soup last night. We had a, a, a country beef vegetable soup nice. with a chia butter roll yeah. that was absolutely packed full of garlic butter. And it was the, the, the garlic, the garlic bread, the chia butter was actually better than the soup, but the soup was still mm. nice. The, 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 and then the other, the other nice thing on a, mm. on a butternut, scoop out the middle. Yeah. Add, fry up some bacon. So, so you cook the whole thing, scoop out the middle. Yeah. Fry up some bacon, and you put that bacon and the cheese, and this and the cooked butternut together in a mix, and put that back into the butternut and eat it. That is delicious. I've got, so a... got to have some bacon on. I mean, I I, I know very little, <laughs> very few things in life that aren't delicious after you've added bacon. Well. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Wayne, I just want to go back to, you mentioned butternut soup and it brought, brought back uh, memories because when I first came to South Africa, went to South Africa rather in 1988, you would go to a restaurant and the, the food scene was, was, was good, solid South African food, but nothing as yeah. fancy as it is now. And on the menu, in the, the, the first starter would always be butternut soup and the main course, the first on the main course would be a steak or king clip. And and yeah, every time the soup was big in the nineties and that yeah. it was huge, and I just suddenly I, huge, I just yeah. got so sick of it. So that's why I've got a little bit of a mental block. Um, but okay, well that's our food story. No, no, look, our... look, I must admit, butternut soup twenty years ago was big. Mm. You, know, you went anywhere, and there, there was there was butternut soup. Yeah. yeah, you're quite right. Okay, all right. So um, I'm, I've I've given up on squash for the winter. Wayne, don't give up on retailers or, or banks. Thanks very much for your time. That's Wayne McCurry from FNB Wealth and Investment, and that was Wayne on Wednesday. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors, and do not reflect the policy position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer, or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.